Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q dot org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. Now, last week we saw... Uh, how four people respond to Jesus in worship, four people who were significantly impacted by Jesus. We saw that Simon the leper hosted a meal in Bethany, the town where Jesus is uh, stopping on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits on top of a hill, and Bethany is, is down across and over a valley, two hills away. It's only two miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, Bethany is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. It's not the first time Jesus has been there. Most likely he would probably stop by Bethany on his way from the Sea of Galilee, the area where he would minister to most of the people, where most of his teaching would be in the northern part of Israel. But then as he goes up to the festivals and as he goes to teach in the temple, Bethany is on the way. And Lazarus, who was once dead but then resurrected from the dead, uh, has drawn many people to Bethany and has actually... Uh, stirred the pot a little bit because his story is an incredible testimony. I don't know how, what you share with people about how you came to know Jesus, but Lazarus is, well, I was dead. Not like, liter- not like, like metaphorically dead. I was dead. I was really dead. And Jesus rose me from the dead, and so I'm following him. He is my Lord and Savior. That's quite a testimony. And people can't believe it, so they have to see for themselves who this Jesus is. We highlighted last week that there is a pattern to follow that in these four responses to Jesus, where Mary comes and anoints him with an expensive uh, year's worth of salary in perfume, anointing Jesus for his burial, it is a pointer to what Jesus is heading to. He's heading to his death. He's heading to the cross. And so this pattern that we highlighted of how we could measure our lives uh, of worship and what we offer in worship to these people who offer their homes and their service and their finances And then we saw that there's a principle that we ought to be aware of, that as we grow in our gratitude and worship of Jesus, and as we gather publicly to worship, that there is a resistance, that that we don't just do this in neutrality, that there is a world that resists us in worshiping Jesus. And behind that world and that system and these ideas is an enemy of our souls. And he is at work resisting both our individual acts of worship and our corporate acts of worship. It is no accident that it becomes difficult for us sometimes to worship either in our hearts and our minds uh, because there is something that is pressing against us that does not want us to give Christ the glory or to grow in love with him. Finally, there was an exhortation or a plea that we would be greater uh, in our intentions of pursuing Christ together as a church, that individually we would seek to make intentional acts of worship, something that is consistently a pattern in our lives, Because in doing this, we not only cultivate a greater love for Jesus as we give generously, as we give of our time, as we grow in our love for the Word, and as we gather together corporately as a church, that we love Jesus more and more as we do that. But also that we serve as a witness to Him and a witness to the world, both naturally and supernaturally. That there is an unseen world that looks at us and says, how are they possibly continuing to worship Jesus despite the circumstances that are around them? And so this morning, as we wrap up the first half of John's Gospel, if you're, if you're new this morning, John's Gospel uh, is broken up into uh, 
four parts, five parts. There's an introduction. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John goes and shows us seven signs that Jesus is the Messiah. Lazarus' resurrection is the greatest sign, the pointing to the resurrection that Jesus would one, one day accomplish very soon. And then in between is this transition where John wraps everything up and says, do you see Jesus? His hour has not yet come, but now, as we'll see, his hour has come. And so that transition in the middle of the book, we're wrapping up this morning, and then the rest of the book is the book of glory, where it points to the, Christ, the, the cross, where the glorification of Jesus Christ is not simply his status in the world as uh, a savior, but the work that he does on the cross, that we cannot see his glory until we see the cross and that is what our focus will be on this morning. This morning, we want to see uh, what it is that John is pointing us to. And I would argue that what we see is that if we desire to see Jesus, if we really want to say, hey, we know Jesus, we see Jesus for who he is, we must first look to the cross. Because if we look to the cross, then we see Jesus rightly. And only when we see him and understand him in the context of what the cross is and what he accomplished, then we know him rightly. Essentially, if we do not see the cross, if we see Jesus as merely just a teacher, a good man, if we, if we ignore the cross, if we ignore what, what he has done and what he says about his death and our deserving of death and his salvific work bringing us out of that judgment of death, if we do not see the cross, then we do not see what is essential in the cross's connection to Jesus. And if we don't see that connection, then we do not see Jesus rightly. Needless, Jesus is not merely a celebrity. He's not simply just some good, famous teacher in world history. He's not only a king. He is first and foremost our Savior. He is the what John will use as the substitute or the propitiation. He is the sacrificial lamb for us. We are, um, as you might know, a culture that is enamored by celebrities. Perhaps you've seen a celebrity in public. Has anybody seen a celebrity? You're like, I think that's, is that really who that person is? Oh, I've bumped once or twice into celebrities. Uh, one time I was at a Starbucks in York, and I was uh, listening to a band. It's the band called The Lone Bellow. And uh, I knew that they were on tour. And I was in York, PA, driving uh, home from Chambersburg because I had to get back to church uh, uh, for the next day, and I stopped by the Starbucks, and I was scrolling through my Instagram feed, and I, I just happened to see the picture of the Lone Bellow on tour, and wouldn't you know it, I'm standing there, and in walks the Lone Bellow. Now, I didn't know how to act, because I was like, I have this thing where I don't, I'm not that guy that wants to be like, hey, can I take a selfie? Like, if I see somebody, I know, I don't like taking selfies, because it's a little bit self-promoting, but but I actually want to take a selfie to prove that I saw the Lone Bell. And then I want to tag them, uh, and, but I didn't. So I ignored, I ignored them. That's what I was like. I was like, oh, my gosh, I got all giddy. I was like, dude, so what do I do? Should I buy them all coffee? And I, I didn't. I, I didn't have time. This, the barista pushed me through. So I'm waiting at the end of the bar because now, like, you have to wait at the end of the bar for your orders at Starbucks. And uh, uh, my coffee came, and so I didn't know what to do. I was like, this is my chance. I get to meet the, the people that I've seen in concert. And, and uh, so the guy, the lead singer, came, and um, I didn't know what to say. And so when I, I turned to him, I was like, hey, dude, I was like, you're the lone fellow, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, man. I was like, love your music. 
And because I was too cool for school, I was like, all right, great, I got to go. See ya. And I walked out the door. And I regretted not taking a selfie because my friends, I was like, dude, guess who I saw? So what I did was I told people, I was like, I saw, I ran into Lone Bella. What's, and they were like, oh, that's great. Did you take a picture? I'm like, no, there's no proof. I was like, but I did tag them in my comments. I was like, hey, great to uh, run into you at Starbucks at Lone Bella at Hudson Thomas. And I made sure that they knew it. And they followed up a few days later with a bink, like, that's it. They just liked that comment. There's no like, hey, you should join us on tour. Here's some free tickets. We live in a culture where when we see famous people, we want to be near them. We want to get close to them. We're excited if we're known by them. In this morning's text, we see a group of men who desire to see Jesus. They, they, they essentially want a selfie with Jesus. And he's somewhat, right now, as a celebrity, the, 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 the tipping point is coming. Uh, the, the, the rumors of Jesus and what he's done are spreading beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Um, he is a leader that sounds like he's going to bring significant change. He's got a, quite a number of followers. Uh, he, he must have something to offer. If he was living in our day, his YouTube channel subscriptions would be growing. His influencer rating would be shooting through the roof. And these men... Uh, want to see Jesus. In verse 21, we see that John highlights this, this, ta- this time where these Greek men, and we'll, 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 we'll make sure we know what that means, but he has made the triumphal entry. He has gone to Jerusalem, and in this, in this timeline, they want to see Jesus. And so the question is, why? what gave them a desire to see Jesus? Why especially Jesus at this point in this time? Why does John highlight this conversation? Was it merely his celebrity status? What were they hoping to accomplish? Were they, were they hoping to get on the right side of history? And I asked the question, like, do we desire to see Jesus? Like, do we want to? Why do we want to see Jesus? Why are you here this morning? Are you here to see Jesus? And if I say that, do you even know what that means? Do you know what it means to see Jesus? Do we desire to see him? And so John is helping us see Jesus correctly as he recounts for us this specific encounter. Jesus helped these men, and hopefully this morning he'll help us orient ourselves to see Jesus correctly because this is the crux of the book. The gospel is like, you need to see Jesus and believe him correctly. Do you know, John is asking, what you're looking at when you see Jesus? So for those of you that like to take notes, here we go. First, Jesus the celebrity, Jesus the celebrated, and Jesus the celebrated Savior. Jesus the celebrity, Jesus the celebrated, and Jesus the the celebrated Savior. So Jesus, the celebrity. Verse 20. Now, some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. Just to give you some context, the the festival is the Passover festival. We know that because John uh, makes a note that it is right around the Passover time. Jesus was in Bethany hanging out, and it was right about the, the, the time a few days before the Passover. Everyone went up to the Passover festival. At the end of chapter 11, the question is, will Jesus arrive at this festival? And so uh, the plot to kill Lazarus uh, is ruminating around uh, the community. And so now there are lots of people. It's estimated that in, within the first century, Josephus, the historian, said that at one point there were 2.3 million worshipers at the city of Jerusalem 
in the first century to worship at the temple. That's how many people would flock to the city. So there is a lot of, uh, a lot of travel, a lot of hubbub. Now, the triumphal entry, which some of us who have grown up in the church and understand that this is the, the, where he, he enters into Jerusalem. And I'm not going to spend some time there. That's verses 12 through uh, 19. That he enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's not a war horse, it's a donkey. And Isaiah says that uh, the people of Jerusalem, their king is going to come on a, a donkey's colt, which is essentially to say he comes in peace. Do not be afraid. He is, he is a king who comes in peace, not to come to overthrow. He's not coming in a tank. He's not coming on a war horse. He's coming in. And the people are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us. They're calling him the king. They're, they're saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Then, what's missing from this timeline, but yet it's in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, if you want to read it uh, later this afternoon in Mark eleven fifteen through 17, it's when Jesus clears the temple. He cleanses the temple. He, he just turns over uh, the merchandise tables, and, and it's missing in John. John puts the cleansing of the temple at the beginning of, the, of his Gospel story, and Matthew and Mark put it at the end. And so historians think and commentators believe that quite likely there were two cleansings. There's the one at the beginning of his ministry when it was not so, not so um, known. And then there was one at the end where he comes in, in the final act of his ministry, which would be the cross. He comes in after the triumphal entry and then just clears house. And so that is missing from John. But John uh, is not doing this intentionally because he forgot about it. He wants us to get, he's, a, he's got a, a pretty short timeline. He, he wants us to get to something different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke got at. He, he wants to be a unique gospel story. And the fear of the leaders is that the world has gone after him. Look, at verse, look with me at verse 19 really quick. The Pharisees said to one another, the religious leaders of the day, they say, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Our strategy has not quelched this man's ministry. In fact, the whole world has gone after him. John uses that word on purpose because what we're going to see now in verse 20, some Greeks, some Greeks, the world, the world outside of Israel. Jesus is making a stir, and he has quite a lot of followers, including those who are outside the Jewish community. And so his celebrity status is getting, it's starting to overspill the Jewish community. So when John says, now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival, these Greeks were either proselytes, they were either conversion, uh, they, were, they were Greek men who probably lived in the area, they weren't Jewish, but they were probably uh, worshipers or they admired the worship of God in Jerusalem. Or they were Greek-speaking Jews. The Jews were exiled out of the land and they've come back, but some of them stayed. They stayed in places like Corinth and Ephesus. They spoke Greek. Uh, all they spoke was Greek. They f had forgotten the Hebrew. So these Greek-speaking Jews or these Greeks from the world are there. And we see this uh, tension between the Greeks and the Jews in Acts chapter 6 when the church begins to grow. The Hellenistic Jews, the ones who spoke Greek, the ones who were impacted by the culture of their world outside of Israel... And then there was the Hebraic Jews, the ones who spoke Hebrew. They lived in Jerusalem. They were, there was a tension between their two, uh, their two groups because their widows weren't being fed. They were being overlooked. There's, there is this sense of, man, these people are not of us. There's tribes. You know, there's, there's, there's circles of, of influence. John says that these Greeks 
were at the festival. And they were brought together. And they were there for the worship. They had a common unity in the fact that they were there to celebrate the Passover. The festivals were what brought the Jews together. The festivals were intentionally designed to keep them united and focused on worshiping and developing community and focused on the law. That's why we gather regularly. We do this regularly because we, this is the rhythm that keeps us together. You know, We, we get together and we, we, we hope, I hope that as we, as we fellowship together more and more that when Sunday comes, we long to be with one another. I like seeing Andrew. I, it's good to see you, brother. Thanks for sitting up here in the barren lands of the front pews. They say, sir, we want to see Jesus. Now, this word see here has five different kind of connotations, but this sir we want to see is not we want to see him like, hey, we want to kind of get in the crowd and see him. Hey, can we get a selfie? Hey, Jesus, right? Ah. Hashtag Jesus is the next king. Uh, no, this is actually we want to sit with him. We want to find out about him. This word could be translated interview. We want to interview Jesus. And so they go to the disciples who have Greek names. Look at 22. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. There's powers and numbers. Why Philip goes and get Andrew, I don't know. But Andrew is the one who always brings his friends to Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to see this man who's popular. We want to see this man who's stirring up the dust. We want to, we want to learn about him. When we, when we want to learn about our favorite athletes or our favorite rock stars or our favorite actors or actresses, we read every interview. I remember growing up being a fan of Oasis and Noel and Liam Gallagher used to have a ton of exploits in England. And I used to read every interview about them because I wanted to learn more about them. I wanted to know more about them. It was, a, it was a brief time. I, I do like the music that is produced by Oasis, but I'm not as enamored or intrigued with them, so much so now that I continue to read those interviews. My heart has been captured by something else. But this is a face-to-face conversation that they want to see Jesus. They want to interview him. They want to know him. They want to sit with him. They want time with him. Now, the question is, what is their motivation? Here, Jesus, it seems, it seems obvious why they would want to see him. Why would they go and find out Philip? They say, Philip, you, you're, you speak Greek. They're like, you're, you're one of us. Can we get an audience with Jesus? And Philip doesn't want to make the decision by himself, and so he grabs Andrew, and they both go to Jesus. Now, one of the things that could be possible is that when Jesus overturns the tables, what he says out loud, so there's a crowd there, and it's not going to go without notice. He, he overturns the ones that are... Uh, defrauding some of the, the people who are there to worship. Some of the poorest of the poor can only afford a fraction of what could be offered up in worship. And so Jesus just sees it, and he's sickened by it, and he just goes to town, and he says, this is a house of prayer. You have made my father's temple a den of robbers. This is a house of prayer for the world. And that, that quotation is from the prophet that said, this will be a, a, a house of prayer for all of the world. There won't be any limitation. Now, The Jews were very clear about coming into the temple and worshiping rightly. And one of the things that they guarded against was that any Gentile, any dirty, nasty, disgusting Gentile, anybody that wasn't Jew could not defile the courts. 
And what they would do is they would have an outer court for just the Gentiles, and then they'd have an inner court of worship and preparation for the Jews, and then they'd have an inner court for the men, the women would stay over here, and then the inner, inner court for the priests and the high priests and the Levites. And then there was only one inner court, which only the high priest of the, the, the chief priest could go in and offer the worship once a year. There were levels of walls. I want to show you a picture of a sign that's in uh, in the uh, museum at Israel, it is, a, it is a warning sign that was found on and is still kind of represented on the walls of, of the temple before you go up into there. It's written in, uh, in Greek. It's written in Greek. And so uh, for those of you that know Greek, you obviously you know what that says. But if you don't know Greek, let me, let me translate it for you. And this was posted before you got to the inner sanctuary. There was a wall here that had a posting that said, not one foreigner is to enter inside around the sanctuary barrier and embankment. He who is seized himself responsible is for the following death penalty. There was a death penalty for being a Gentile and entering into the area which was denied you. This is what Paul says, that there is a wall of hostility. If you're familiar with that passage, the wall of hostility is broken down. Paul doesn't just make that up. There literally was a wall of hostility saying, Cross this wall, you shall die if you're a Gentile. And Paul says the good news of the gospel is that there is no longer a wall of hostility between us and God. There is no sign saying cross this barrier and you'll die because you have to be Jewish. No, 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 no. That's broken down in Christ. So the Greeks who have seen Jesus and have heard this want an audience with Jesus. What is Jesus' reply to him to them? Look at verse 23. Jesus replied to them, and it doesn't say that he's sitting there interviewing them. He doesn't, we don't know whether or not they got their time with Jesus. John just says that he replied to them, the hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So his answer is like, hey, we want to see Jesus. You want to see Jesus? Jesus says, okay, here we go. Here's, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. He begins to talk to them about dying grains, that if it dies, it must produce much fruit, that the one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Then he says, if anyone serves me, verse 26, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus just responds to them. They're like, hey, Jesus, we want to sit down and learn more about you. He's like, okay, a grain of wheat has to die and produce much fruit. If you want to follow me, you have to be with where I'm at. You, you want to follow me, you got to hate your life more than you love your life. Because if you don't love me more than you love your life, then you're going to lose your life. It's like, what? What is he, what is he talking about? Jesus says, essentially, if you want to be in my inner circle, you, you, must, you must look towards the place that I'm going. You must be where I am. There is... There is no fame or celebrity to be had with me. You cannot avoid where I'm going if you want to be with me. In verse 32, he says where this will be. Verse 32, he says, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. To be lifted up is most definitely an allusion to Isaiah 52, 13, where the suffering servant would be successful in being lifted up he would be a servant for the world that would be unrecognizable. 
essentially, Jesus says to these men who want to see him, you want to see me? I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. I'm going to be crucified. The way to my inner circle, essentially, the, the, the fame and all of this stuff that's around me is nothing, is nothing. It is not what you think it is. This is all going to go away. I am much more than a celebrity. I'm just much more than, I don't have influencers. I don't have leverage. I have a work to do that is going to bring the entire sinful, broken world that comes to me. I'm going to bring them salvation, and it's going to be through my death. You're going to look at me in just a few days, and you're going you're to chant, crucify, crucify, crucify. Jesus is so much more than just a celebrity. He's, he's much more than just a well-known name. And I asked the question of myself, I was like, I wonder how many Christians want fame without the cross? How many of us want comfort without the suffering? We want a Jesus who provides for us health and wealth and prosperity. We want to know Jesus, but we don't want to experience his suffering. We want to get to know him, but we don't want to sacrifice our time to spend with him. We want to uh, see things happen, but we don't want to give much of anything that will cause us a little pain. And I wonder how detrimental it has been, probably very detrimental, and even for some of us in this room who have seen pastors and leaders and Christians rise to the top of fame and celebrity only to fail and us to say, you know what, I, I can't trust another man of God again. It doesn't matter what tradition or denomination, we see the failures of man and that's because we look to them for celebrity. We want to follow them. We want to know what they, how they live. But yet they are so uh, focused on their way. And we're focused on how they do and how popular they are and what they're doing. We miss to see Jesus and remind ourselves that Jesus was a suffering servant. Two, Jesus, the, celebra- the, the celebrated. Jesus reveals to them, I'm much more than a celebrity. Well, what is he? Verse 27, he says, now. John repeats this. Look how many times we see now. Now, verse 27, my soul is troubled. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of the world would be cast out. John makes it clear that for the first 11 chapters, Jesus has said, it is now not my time. My time has not yet come. But John, here in the center of the book, says, Jesus is saying, now is the moment. This is my moment. My soul is troubled. I'm, he, he is, that word trouble is anguish. It's, it's the same troubling he will have in the Garden of Gethsemane. And essentially what he says in Gethsemane, he says now, he says, he says Father, if, 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 it, if there's any other way, if there's any other way that I could avoid being beaten to a bloody pulp, that I could be avoided uh, being punched in the face and spat on, avoid being mocked and embarrassed, avoid the shame of being completely naked, hung on a cross, bleeding and in pain. If there's any way that I could avoid this, could you, could you do that? Yet, not my will, but your will be done. Before he says that, he says, Father, save me from this hour. I'm troubled. I know what I'm going to. But this is why I came. And he says, Father, glorify your name, verse 28. He says, Father, and this is what Jesus 
has been all about, and this is what John's all about. John says that Jesus was always subordinated to the Father. When you see the Son, you see the Father. And the Father is glorified when the Son is obedient to the very end. And the Father responds and says, I have glorified it. For every, for every time you healed, for every time you spoke truth, for every time that you were obedient, every time that you resisted the evil one in the wilderness, for every moment of every day that you were obedient, Son, I have glorified my name, and I will continue to glorify it. How is he going to glorify it? He's going to glorify his name by lifting the son up. The father celebrates the son. Jesus is a celebrated son, and he is worthy of celebration. When the father says that I will glorify my name again, he's going to glorify his name on the cross what the people will see is this is a defeated leader. This is a defeated savior. This is not the man we thought would lead us into glory. He's bloodied and weak, and he's on a cross, and then he's dead and buried. And that is how God glorifies himself? How do we glorify things these days? It's not through death and suffering, right? We glory in success. The, the glory of the eagles there is no glory of the eagles, let's just be honest. We're living in a lie. But one day, the glory will come back to Philly. We'll get the cup again. We'll get the, the ring again. We'll get the, we glory in success and in victory. We glory in uh, election results. We glory in the success records. We glory in this leader and that leader. We, as men, glorify those who are successful and God is in no need of any, he does not need his, his, his back scratch. He does not need to be told how great he is. He knows how great he is. He's the creator. He's God. He is not worried about his reputation. What he is glorified in is who he is, that he is, he is a God who saves. He is a God who rescues. He is a God that is not ashamed to come alongside those of us who are broken and fearful and shamed and plagued with sin. He is not ashamed to come close to us and say that I have given everything that I can so that you might be with me. The ruler of this world is going to be cast out. There's no more accusation. There's no possible way that those who call out to Christ, that the enemy of their souls can keep them from that. If anyone comes to me, he says, I will draw all men to myself, verse 32, all people to myself. If I'm lifted up, everyone, Jew and Gentile, will see me for what I am. And the crowd is like, they're confused. Look what they say. They say, wait a minute. In verse 34, it's like, the Messiah is said to be remaining forever. They know what they've been taught. The Messiah was the son of David, the king, the one that would come forever and establish a kingdom. They're like, what Messiah, what son of man are you talking about? Because we've been taught, and the scriptures say, that he's going to be here forever. And yet, you say that you're going to be lifted up? He's going to come in success. What they're looking for is an earthly Messiah. There's a hope of overthrowing Roman rule. They want to reestablish the glory of Israel under Solomon. They want an eternal king. That's what they've been promised. Power and glory, economy, safety and fame. That's what they're hoping. They've said, Jesus, you're the man for this. And Jesus does not feed into it. The irony is that this will come. That all of that is true. That all 
every single government, every single party, everything that you see around us will fade when Christ returns and establishes his eternal kingdom. And our bodies are resurrected. And he separates sin and death forever. And then we will have safety and security, prosperity, crops, food, fun, glory, all of it. But that is to come. All of that is secured first by the cross. The death of the king. The king is not weak because he dies. Because he dies, he strengthens what it is that he has come to do. He strengthens the hope of his people. Jesus, in a sense, sets the timer. It's ticking down. One of those old ticking clocks that, you know, in the, the kitchen timer where you, I know we all use the timer on our phones now, but there used to be a time when you like, and you hear, right, the, the baking timers, and then it goes, bing, right? Jesus says, I will be lifted up. It's ticking down. Jesus has just exposed himself as the one who would be finally the celebrated Savior. He's not just a celebrity. Jesus is celebrated by the Father, but he's celebrated because he is the Savior. Look at verse 46. John summarizes all of this. He summarizes the mission. He, he says, listen, if you want to understand what Jesus came to do, Jesus said it himself. He said, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in the one who sent me. This is a theme that's replete all over the Gospel of John. We've, we've beat it over and over again. It is the one who sees me sees the one who sent me, my Father, and here's what he has done. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Light is life. Darkness is death. Light and life is forgiveness and salvation. Darkness and death is sin and separation from God. I have come so that everyone who believes in me will have life. All those who do not believe me will have death. This is the summary of the mission. And one day Jesus will come and he will make it very clear. But in that moment, he's saying, look, if you want to see me clearly, you need to see me as a savior. A right desire to see Jesus is when we come to him with a desire to no longer remain in darkness. We, we, we know that we're in darkness, and all of a sudden we see, like, we see like this glimmer of hope. And the only way that we see that glimmer of hope and that light is if it, it is through a cross. We look to the cross, and we see Jesus hanging there. And we look to him, and we say, I... I I want to be in the light, and we confess that I, I am in darkness, I'm in sin, I'm in need of a Savior. And so when we see Jesus, we don't see kind of like, if we look beyond the cross and like avoid the cross and say, hey, I want the glory and the power, I want all of the riches, I want, I want life, baby. I, want, I, want, I don't want to limp anymore, I want this. Jesus says you have, to, you, you have to go through the cross. You have to go through the cross. And how do we go through the cross? We go through the cross when we, we look to the cross and we say, that should be me on there. That should be me. And so we would do right to celebrate Jesus. The difference between the world and those who follow Jesus, the people of God, we celebrate a crucified Savior, but we celebrate a resurrected Savior. We are not a people that demand our rights. We are a people that lay down our lives. We are not a people that seek a government to bring us into eternal glory. We seek to another kingdom that is an eternal kingdom we suffer and we sacrifice 
and we wait and we long and we grieve and we love and we serve and we do all of these things and we worship despite what world throws against us. We do this because there is only one celebrity for us and that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is and rightfully should be celebrated and he is and ought to be the only celebrity among the church. If anyone occupies our thoughts more than him, if anyone sits on the throne of our hearts and in, in our minds other than him, then he is not our hero. We fool ourselves if we read more about others in this world than we read about Jesus. He is not Lord of our life if we don't seek to align our lives with him. There is no pastor, no leader, no government official. There is no team. There's nothing that should take the place of Christ in our hearts and our minds. And the sad news is that this is the condition of every single one of us in this room. We have people we love more than Jesus, for sure. You need to be honest with yourself. And if you're not honest with yourself, if the Lord loves you, he will discipline you and show you the error of your heart and say, you love this thing more than me. This is a celebrity in your life. This has more influence in your life than I do. You, you need to do something about that. And if you don't, I won't. Why? Because I love you because I want to draw you near to me. That's the bad news. And the bad news is that because we have celebrities in our hearts other than Christ, because we have idols in our lives, we are worthy of death. We have rebelled against the king. We have, we have put our allegiance in other things. But you know what the gospel is? That's the bad news. Here's the good news, which is what gospel is. Good news. Here's the good news. You ready for this? The good news is that the God that Jesus reveals to us. God, the Father, reveals himself fully in the Son. The Son is fully God, who reveals perfectly and completely the Father who is God and sends his Spirit in our hearts. He sends our spirit, the Spirit through the Word, who also is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is a compassionate God. He is a gracious God. He is a God slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and truth. He maintains his faithful love to a thousand generations. He does forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin that is in our heart. But he has not left the guilty unpunished. He has not left us unpunished. He has punished us. How has he punished us, you ask? He has punished the guilty. Because how he has punished the guilty is he has put all of our guiltiness on one man, and that is Jesus Christ. And because Christ was punished, because we were guilty, he was made guilty. And because he was made guilty, he was punished. And so when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior on that cross, we confess that it should have been us, but yet he was punished. And so therefore we receive the forgiveness that we do not deserve. But we no longer need to fear the, the judgment because we are free, we're forgiven. And our, we are friends of God because our sin has been punished and paid, our debt has been paid. What celebrity in this world can offer that to you? I guarantee you it's not Tom Cruise. No one in this world can offer that. So why would we worship anything else? Why would, why would our minds think about anything else? Why would our hearts be affected by anything else? My prayer and my hope is that we would be a people 
that would have the distinguishing mark that our local church, and in fact, every church worldwide, that if anybody walks into this worship gathering, they would walk out and they would know that they say, whatever, you know, whatever they may say about them, whoever joins with us would walk out knowing that without a doubt, the only celebrity we came to see was Jesus. It was not Tom Hadzina. It was not whoever's up on the band. It's not this, that, or the other person. That when we gather, we gather and people say they love Jesus and he is their celebrity. Right? And that takes time. And that takes cultivation. And every time we acknowledge to ourselves, man, I am not loving Jesus the way that I ought, we could either live in self-condemnation or we could say, Christ, forgive me for that. You've already paid that debt. The, the freedom is that that's been paid for and that he does not see us. The Father, as far as he's concerned, he sees us and we are his righteous sons and daughters. And he, he sees no sin, no, no guilt, no shame. This is the good news of the cross. This is, if you want to see Jesus, this is what he would sit down and tell you. Let's pray. And let's reflect on this truth as we gather around the table together. As we celebrate Jesus, this is what we do. The celebrity is celebrated as we gather around his table. He is not too distant from us to welcome us to his table. Celebrities that we put up on pedestals, they would not welcome us to their table. But Jesus invites us. He invites us to his table. He's worthy of being celebrated. Everything we do honors him. And he in turn loves us and enjoys us and wants us, wants us to know the truth. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.